Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Samuel, we're going to look at uh, chapter 30 today. Um, kind of skipping 29, and I'll explain that in just a few moments, the context there, what happens in chapter 29. Uh, I would say if you have a need during this time, don't be afraid to let us know. Uh, you can go to our website, send us an email, uh, go to our Facebook page, uh, send us a message there. If you're somebody who wants to serve, uh, please let us know. We continue to get messages from folks, uh, emails, uh, I want to do something, tell me what I can do. College students who are asking if they can take elderly folks to the doctor uh, or go pick up things for them at the grocery store, uh, let us know if you want to be a part of those teams. Uh, we did come across this week sort of an interesting situation for college students, those that came back to campus. Uh, some of them went to use their meal card, and I don't know all the logistics there. It didn't work or it ran out or they only had one option or something like that. And so we had college students that needed food. So um, I know that's not a unique uh, problem. Uh, college students always need food. Um, but if you would like to feed college students during this time, let us know. Um, but this is going to just be an interesting time in the life of our church and the world around us. Uh, and let's just be Christians who love Jesus and love one another. First uh, Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read chapter 30, verse 20, and then we will look at the context and then dig into chapter 30. First Samuel, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 20. Hear the word of Christ. David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Oh God, we thank you as we look out today and we see the flock of God before us. We will say this is Christ's spoil, and we are thankful for it. And God, we pray that you would equip those who have been rescued by Jesus from sin and death, and you would empower us by your spirit to minister and serve one another, that you would cause us to have great love for one another, but it would all be latched to your word. God, as your church, we don't gather around some sort of sentimentality that's only going to last for a few months during crisis. We gather around your word that invokes and empowers eternal love and grace. Help us to show it during this time. Teach us now by your spirit, according to your word. In Jesus name we pray. You may be seated. This week, again, we've talked about it over and over today, was just so, such a unique week in our lives. And if you're, you're like me, you're trying to stay engaged with your phone, uh, with your device all week, trying to get updates through social media. And about midweek, as things began to unfold and decisions were being made, I began picking up my phone. It was like every time I opened up social media, I walked away more depressed, more worried, full of more anxiety. Having my phone in my hand was almost like 
a therapy in anxiety. It, it was like coming to my phone and having another punch in the gut as uh, schools were closing, NCAA tournament shut down, SEC tournament shut down, NASCAR, of all things, closed down. Schools closing, high school sports put on hold, group gatherings canceled, restrictions announced, economic updates and predictions. And it was just like over and over, you're just getting lambasted with bad news. Gut punch after gut punch that invokes fear, more anxiety. I know more about this coronavirus than I probably should know or need to know or is healthy to know or is good for me to know or is safe for me to know. I've read more medical. I, I don't know half the terminologies that I read about this week or procedures or all, I don't even know what I'm reading half the time, but I've read more than I needed to about what's going on in our culture and full of anxiety. And if you're like me, it just sort of felt like at the tip of your fingers, your world is kind of falling apart around you. Like the earth is being scorched and nothing is going to be left when all is said and done. And this would have been exactly the way David felt when he walked back into Ziglag, except it wasn't pixelated. He walked back into this territory that Achish had given him. And as he walked into the, the city and the towns, before David would have been a literal scorched earth, he would have walked across ashes. There would have been uh, dust from the soot before him that rose with each step he made. And he held in his hand, not a phone, but a sword. And he began to evaluate what had happened to this territory, the towns and villages that Achish had given to him in chapter 28. He began to look around and he, his family wasn't there. As the soldiers who were with him began to open doors and search homes, there were no women and children. And through their minds, the, the worst case scenarios, I'm sure, began to unfold. Until eventually, in Ziglag, as David and his men returned, 600 men, 600 soldiers fell to their knees with their swords and shields in their hand. And the text will tell us they wept. They screamed until they could weep and scream no more. And they clung the dust before them. But, but how did we get here? As we're going to look at chapter 30, how did we get here? In chapter 27, we remember David flees Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And so he, he flees uh, to the Philistine land. And the king Achish gives him a territory, Ziglag. And he sets up shop in Ziglag. He creates his home there. His family's there. And from Ziglag, he begins to assault the enemies of God. But he goes before Achish with the spoils from the enemies of God. And he tells Achish, the Philistine king, I'm getting these from the Israelites. I'm killing uh, Israelites in 
the land of Judah and I'm bringing you the spoils. See, I'm an enemy of Israel also. And Achish begins to believe him. And, and he believes him so much. And David is, seems to be so loyal to this pagan king that Achish finally says, you're so loyal to me, I want you to fight with me. I want you to gather your soldiers and we're going to take out Israel. We're going to take out the people of God. Yeah, your former people. And we end it chapter 27 by going, what is David going to do? Is he going to fight with the Philistines or is he going to betray Achish and fight with uh, the Israelites? What will David do? And then in chapter 27 we look, or 28, we looked at last week, the question was, what will Saul do? The Philistine territories, uh, Achish has gathered his army and they're moving into the land of Israel to wipe out the Israelites. And on this Saul, you uh, on this side, you have Saul waiting for the Philistines to come. They're surrounding him and Saul is in fear and he goes before the Lord and the Lord doesn't answer him. And then he goes out and he goes to this psychic necromancer and he says, I want to talk to Samuel. And, and for some reason, God allows him to talk to Samuel, the prophet. And, and Samuel, is there a different word for me? I, is there a word of hope? And Samuel says, absolutely not, Saul. You disobeyed the Lord. The Philistines are going to take you out. And chapter 28 ended. Saul, not at the table of prophets, as we once thought, but at a table of witches, having his last supper as he goes out into the dark to be destroyed by the Philistines. Saul will not be rescued. He will be wiped out as we will see in the next chapter. But what will happen to David? David is at the back of the line with the Philistines marching against the Israelites. What's going to happen to him? Well, in chapter 29, which we're going to summarize, David finds grace. David and his armies are moving against the Israelites with the Philistines. And, and uh, as the Philistine soldiers turn around and they see, is that David? The Israelite shepherd boy, the one who killed Goliath. Do, do y'all not remember Goliath is a Philistine? And this shepherd boy knocked his head off. This, this, this is David. What is he doing fighting with us? This is a trick. Any common sense would lead us to believe this is an absolute trick. David can't fight with us. We've heard the nursery rhymes. Yes, Saul, he killed a thousand people. Uh, but David, he killed ten thousand people. And do y'all not remember David? He's the one who, who to appease his father-in-law and to get a wife, he brought two bags of Philistine foreskin. Guys, do we really want this guy fighting with us? And the word spreads. David's in the back. He says he's going to fight with us. Absolutely not. And they go to Achish and they say, you can't have him fight with us. And Achish says, yeah, but he's a great guy. Even in chapter 29, we see Achish calls him an angel of the Lord. David, he's a great guy. He, he needs to fight with us. He's this great warrior. He's been taking out from the people from the land of Judah, destroying the, the Israelite land. He needs to fight with us. No, we're not fighting with him. 
And so Achish eventually sends David home back to Ziglag. And David finds grace. Remember chapter 27, what's David? Is he going to fight with the Philistines? Is he going to fight with the Israelites? His sin had got him into that. He did not trust God. He's lying and lying. And his sin had got him into that mess. Well, he gets grace from God. Because now he doesn't have to fight. And we say, why would God give him grace? He's a liar. But God rescued him despite his sin and sent him back to Ziglag. And that's where we find the destruction. Notice verse 1 of chapter 30. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites made a raid. Now, David had been raiding Amalekite territory from Ziglag, and now they're in revenge mode. They made a raid against Negev and against Ziglag. And they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire. This is what David and his men find as they move back into this territory. And they had taken captive the women who were in it, both small and great, and they killed no one. So they, they kidnapped these men, the soldiers, wives, but carried them off and they went their way. Verse 3. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, scorched ground underneath them. And their wives and their sons and daughters were taken captive. Their families are missing. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you ever been in that sort of desperate situation? The loss of a loved one, circumstance you have no control over, and you weep and you weep until you have no more tears to weep. You weep and you well until you have no more strength to move. Imagine 600 of the strongest men you've ever seen on the ground before you, outside their homes, in the street, laying there, staring blankly into space because they can't cry anymore. And they can't move. They are without strength. Everything has been taken from them. Notice verse 5. David's two wives also had been taken. Ahonomam. And Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Karma. Now we remember, first of all, David was given a wife by Saul, Micah. Scripture tells us he liked her best of all. It didn't work out. She tried to betray him. Now he's acquired two more wives along the way. He has uh, one wife and then he, ha- he has acquired Nabal, this, this outrageous farmer who raged against David. David was going to wipe him out. Eventually, the Lord struck Nabal dead, and now David has his wife. But all of them are now taken from him. In verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. So imagine this, the hero, shepherd boy, warrior, our man, our leader. And in a moment, we're ready to kill him. We want, we want him dead. He brought us out here in the wilderness to Ziglag, and now he needs to die. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each one of his sons and daughters. 
But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Nothing left. Scorched ground beneath you. You look around and you, you have nothing. You've weeped to you have no more tears. You, you've welled to you have no more strength. What are you going to do, David? And this is what makes David different from Saul. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He, he looks to the Lord. Verse 7, David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Now remember, Saul had wiped out the priest village of Nob and there was only one priest left and he is with David finding refuge. And David turns to him and he says, bring me the ephod, the box that that we believe that they believe contained the presence of God. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord and he said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake him them? And the Lord answered. And isn't that grace? Think of all David has done, all of his sin, all of his lies. Think, think, think of all the wicked acts David has been involved in to this point. And he goes before the Lord. And unlike Saul, David gets an answer. The Lord would not answer Saul. But he answers David and he says, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. God promises him victory. He promises that he will win. And this is how David strengthens himself in the Lord. It is by seeking the Lord and hearing and receiving the promise of the Lord and then acting upon the promise of the Lord. David seeks the Lord first. And I wonder this week as you think about moments when you did not have strength, maybe. And maybe this hasn't even sunk in yet for you. And maybe in the weeks ahead, it will. And there will be moments where you say, I can't control this. Whether you think this is insane, crazy talk, or whether you are struck with the seriousness and gravity of it, you will realize, I can't control what's going on in the world around me. No matter what you think about it. Maybe God is proving to you, you have no control over what other people are doing. What other people are saying. And and maybe God's going to say, you have no strength in that. You're not able to do what you want to do. You are restricted. You're going to check the Dow. You're going to constantly check the stock market over the next few weeks. And you're going to look at it and and you're going to sometimes just want to scream. And you're going to get to a point where you just say, I don't even want to look at it anymore. You're going to get to a point where you realize, I have no strength. I can't control that. I can't do it. Your hope and money and sports and even freedom, you're going to realize is futile. Because it can all be taken away in a moment. And maybe God is showing you how fragile you really are. Maybe God is doing that. And there's going to be times where you are worn out from worry. And yet, what do you do in those moments? You do what David did here. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's what God's calling us to do in these moments. To become weak in screen time and to become strong in prayer. He's calling us to become weary of scrolling and to be empowered with the promises of the Word of God. 
Instead of filling our minds with the same information over and over and over and over and over again, thinking maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll be different. Instead of wasting time doing that, we should be filling our hearts with the promise of the gospel. Instead of filling our heads with the same stuff over and over, why don't we go to the gospel? Why don't we go to the cross? Why don't we remember Jesus died for my sins? Why don't we remember that Jesus is seated at the right hand and He can't lose? My strength is in Him, so I can't lose. That's what we see David doing here. Notice verse 9. This may be a long sermon, so if you're at home, you may go grab a drink, get some coffee, come back. We'll still be going. So David set out 600 men who were with him. And they came to the brook of Bazar. Now this can actually be translated as very interesting, good news. They come to a place of good news. Where those who where those who were left behind stay. But David pursued and he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind because they were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bazar, the brook of good news. Isn't that an interesting imagery there? David gets to a, a brook and he's got 200 soldiers who say, David, we can't go anymore. We, we followed you with the Philistines. Then we traveled some 60 miles back to Ziglag. We've seen our, our lives destroyed before us. Our homes burned down. Women and children stolen, kidnapped. We're exhausted, man. And now we're going to have to go fight. We can't do this. We can't go fight the Amalekites. Now, Saul, at this point, we saw earlier, what did he do when his men got tired? He pressed them. He said, no, we're going to fight even more. He made more laws, more commands. And Jonathan, his son, who found honey in a tree and just stuck it to his tongue, Saul said, I'll kill you if you do that. It's a fast in the land. And so instead of giving his soldiers rest, what did Saul do? He pressed them even harder and he called them to fast. What does David do? Rest. You can rest here. 200 men stop and rest as David goes forward and fights their battle. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? You can ask Clay and today this week. There were times where I just was like, I don't know what to do. I have thought this through. Even what happened this morning stresses me out. Somebody said, well, we can meet and we can have all kinds of restrictions and not as many people will show up. Look around this room. Good grief, you guys are crazy. I said, if you tell our people they can't do something, they're going to do it. And that stresses me out. And there were times where Clay and Danae were just like, you're doing a good job. You're fine. You're, it's going to work out. I was just so tired and anxious and stressed this week. And I know some of you are too. How's this going to affect my family? Who's going to watch my kids? How's this going to affect my employees? And you're tired. And Jesus says it's okay. It's okay to be tired. Because Jesus fights the battle. We don't. 
David moves on into battle. Notice verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? They find an enemy, an Egyptian who has served an Amalekite. And they begin to feed him. And David gave him a piece of cake and a figs and two clusters of raisin. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. David finds an enemy slave and revives him with food and drink. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of Amalekite. He is a slave in Amalekite. And know what the Amalekite master did? My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. So the enemy slave, a servant of Amalekite, gets tired, gets sick, and his master leaves him behind. But we find David serving him. We had made raid against Negev, the Cherethites, and against that which belonged to Judah, against Negev and Calum. And we burned Ziglag with fire. Now, all of these territories eventually will belong to David. They are territories of Judah. And even Ziglag is a Philistine territory, but it's David's. They've raided David's land. And, and in that moment, David's probably looking into his eyes going, you were a part of this. In this moment, he probably hadn't pieced it all together. Now he finds a servant slave of Amalekite and says, you were a part of this. David says, will you take me down to the band? And he said, swear to me that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hand of my master. And I will take you to this band. And we see David serving the enemy here. David giving the enemy food. David giving the enemy rest. And he will give him protection from his master. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus finds us tired, worn out. But he also finds us slaves to sin. And you know what sin causes you to do? Sin calls you to, calls you to work so hard. For nothing. For nothing. And some of you come in here today and that's what you that's what you feel in your gut. Your desires say you need that pleasure. You're not going to be happy without that sin. And you ghost people who are going to provide accountability to you. You work so hard to get that sin. You schedule your day so you can get in front of that computer screen alone. You, you think about your week so you can have those moments with people and no one else will see you. And you wake up the next morning empty because your slave master sin has worn you out and you have nothing to show for it. You sit in front of that computer screen and all you have is deleted browser history. You have nothing to show up. You've worked so hard for it. And it hasn't fulfilled you. It hasn't given you what you thought it would. And Jesus finds us in that moment. And He doesn't call us to work harder. He says, I have something better for you. And He gives us the goodness of the Gospel. And He says, you don't even have to work for it. You don't have to work for forgiveness. I'm going to give you something free, even though you should be my enemy. Even though you've served the enemy, I'm going to give you something free in the Gospel. He says, you don't have to prove yourself. You're accepted, even though you're an enemy. Notice verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, 
They were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing. Imagine what's going through David's mind. He says the, he sees the enemy eating his food, drinking his drink, and they're all celebrating in the city. They're dancing. Because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And then notice verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. So this party, this celebration, the debauchery, drunkenness, feasting, dancing. It immediately turns into a blood slaughter for 24 hours as David wipes them out. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Malachites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing was missing, whether great or small, sons or daughters or anything that had been taken. David brought back. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove livestock before him. And those who had once said, we need to stone David, notice they are singing his praises. This is all David's. As, As David watches cows and sheep and people and Trailers with boxes stacked up as they leave the Amalekite territory. And David looks around. This man who had no strength. And he is weeping and he is wailing in the dust. And he looks around at his soldiers and they have nothing. Now they are leaving enemy territory. And he looks around and people are singing his praises. This is all David's. Then David comes back to the 200 men who did not go to fight in verse 21. And they're at the brook of good news. And they're exhausted. And notice verse 21, when David sees them, they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. David, gracious, kind. Not, you guys missed it. You guys missed out. You're weak. You're pathetic. But that's exactly what, notice verse 22 All the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. Notice they said, because you did not go with us and you did not give them anything. We will not give them any of the spoil we have recovered, except that each man may leave, lead away with his wife and children and depart. And so David runs to the exhausted soldiers, but his men begin to say, whoa, 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 David. What do you? Why are you being so kind to these losers? They stayed behind. They, they, they stayed behind. They didn't fight with us. Give them their wives and children and send them home. They don't deserve the spoil. You're handing out food to them. They're here. They did nothing. And notice David's response. He said... You shall not do so, my brothers. Notice why with what the Lord has given us. Notice David sees here the Lord has done this. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. God saved us. God rescued us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to battle, so shall the share be with those who stay with the baggage. They shall share alike. David says, we all get the same thing. And the warriors who risk their life are going, what? 
These pathetic wimps who stayed here by the brook of Bazar and just watched our baggage, they're going to get spoils of victory? David, that ain't right. What is this? Communism? Socialism? That ain't right. And David says, well, guys, you didn't do anything anyway. The Lord did this. The Lord was gracious to all of us. And we're going to display grace to the exhausted. We're going to display grace even for those who did not fight. But how often do we find ourselves like the wicked and worthless, empty, who are saying, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You know why we do that? We withhold grace from others because we think somehow we deserve grace. We think, I deserve what I got. I deserve to be in the kingdom. I was born to this family. I was raised in this context with good morals and good values. I went to this church every day. The doors were open. I did all of these great things. I deserve to be here. I come to church when there's a pandemic. I deserve some goodness from God. But the loser that I pass when I drive through downtown Richmond and I look over and I see the way drug addiction has ravaged her body. And she can't look me in the eyes because she is twitching. She deserves none of it. How often do you live that way? You know the solution for that? Is to rest at the brook of Bazar. Is to stand before the cross of good news. The place of good news. And realize nobody brings one offense greater to the cross. All offense is the same. Your hidden gluttony that you hide with your shirt today, it's the same level of offense to God as the pornography that your brother looked at last night. And we both bring both sins to the cross. We, we bring them to the cross and we say, my sin, hidden sin of pride and gossip. Nailed Jesus to the cross, just like the homosexual sin of sexual immorality nails Jesus to the cross. And when we bow before the cross and we believe in Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, you deserve my grace more. You get more grace than her. You get more grace than him. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, here's the spoils of victory. Come on in. Enjoy it. Grab some more. Open up the treasure chest of God's grace and stick your head in it. Just enjoy it. Let's dance. Let's party. God's gracious to all of us. He's not saying you can come in and you stay out. Okay, this is a level of grace that you deserve. Ah, you're, you're not as bad as them. I'll give them a little grace and then a little more grace. And before we know it, there's little crumbs of grace out here that these people get. 
No. He's saying, come on in. Feast. Feast on the bread of grace. Feast on the meat of grace. Drink in the celebration of grace. You all get the same grace. You all get to enjoy the same party. And notice what David does. I'll summarize the following verses. You haven't been this close to anybody all week. I know you're ready to leave. Verses 26 through 30. David takes all the spoils of victory and he begins to spread it out in the land, land of Judah. He ends up in Hebron, which will be the place where David and his men will set up shop and David will begin his rule even there. He begins to spread the spoil of victory. And here we see a picture of the king we need. Before the book ends, God's going to show us next chapter, this is not the king you need. He's going to die. His name's Saul. But here he gives us the picture of the king we need, and it's a picture of grace. You need the king who gives grace. Think about the people. They wanted Saul as king. You know, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Malachites, they have all these trophy kings. They have pictures of them all around town. And there's these big, strong men. And they defeat their enemies. But what God would say is, you don't want a king like Egyptians. You want the king I give you. Because a king like the nations, all he does is care about himself. And his kingdom is for him. Saul's kingdom was for Saul. That's why he was so paranoid about losing it. Because it wasn't about the people of God. Saul's kingdom was about Saul. But notice who's David's kingdom is about. It's about his people. David isn't conquering these lands and keeping these things to himself. There are people around David at this point saying, no, 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 no. You're, you're going to be king. Stop giving this stuff away. You're being too gracious, too merciful. We're not going to have anything left. And David's like, no, let's take some over to these people. Let's take some over to these people. And, and, and people are probably saying, David, you're not going to have any cows left. You're not going to have any sheep left. You're not going to have anything left to your name. And David says, it's about the people of God. And that's the king we need. That's what we learn from 1 Samuel. We need a king of grace. David goes out to the wilderness and it's all taken from it and he gets it back. And we would say, David, don't lose it again. And he says, no, I'm going to give it away. And it's the same thing Jesus does. Jesus goes to Calvary and he has the kingdom taken away from him. On the cross, as he is screaming to the Father, why have you forsaken me? It would have been the same thing David felt when he walked into Ziglag and the ground is scorched. He would say, God, why have you forsaken me? And it was because of David's sin. But on the cross, when Jesus screams, why have you forsaken me? There's no sin. He loses his kingdom and he doesn't deserve to lose the kingdom. And yet in a resurrection, he gets it back. He's raised from the dead in glory. And what does he do? Does he march out and begin to destroy all who oppose him in that moment? No, he says, you can get in too. You can have grace. You can be a part of this kingdom back from the dead. You can be a part of this kingdom that was scorched to the ground. You've had it taken away, but you can get it back. And I know this week you feel like some things have been taken away. Some of you think it's right that it was taken away. It's good. I know some of you in here don't think it was right. You don't think it's good. 
Either way, you have no control over it. And you've had things taken away from you. Sin and sickness and Satan have stolen much from us this week. You even look around this room. There are people that you run to every week and you hug them and you squeeze them and you're so thankful to see them. Sin, sickness, took that away from you today. But Jesus says, I'm going to give it back. He may give it back to us in three weeks. He may give it back to us in three months. He may give it back to us in three years. Or He may give it back to us a thousand years from now. But He does plan like David to give it all back. Because there's a day where you will be seated in the new Jerusalem. And you will be in the fellowship hall of the First Baptist Church of New Jerusalem. We do have Baptists in our name every now and then. And you'll be seated there with your glass and your fork and your plate. And Jesus is going to be at the head of the table. And He's not going to look out and say, you don't deserve what you have. He's not going to say they deserve more. He's not going to tell any of us to go over to the side and sit on the ground and eat the crumbs. No, we're all going to celebrate. And we're going to celebrate a King of Grace who's going to give it all back in His time. Notice the text one more time. David strikes. David recovers. David rescues. David redeems. David captures. All those words throughout the text are used of David. And we see a picture of Jesus who has struck the enemy of sin and death. And He has given us forgiveness. We see Jesus who recovers stolen life from the grave and He gives us resurrection. We see Jesus who rescues His body and He gives us the church as a gift. We see Jesus who redeems all that is stolen from Eden, all that has been stolen from our life, and He will return it. We see Jesus who captures the flock of God. And He promises to give anything we've lost back. And on that day, it will be even better. 